Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand with me this morning. So good to see you. I am glad that you are here. Someone said, if you're an Alabama fan, you're liking the decor of the church today. Some of you didn't get that at all. I'm sorry you're not a college football fan. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that you love us, you care for us. Lord, you have us here for such a time as this. We love you, we praise you, we exalt you. Open up our ears to hear, our heart to receive. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. Well, we started a new series called The Elephant in the Room. And if you have not noticed, there's elephants in the house. And uh, we're going to talk about holding on to hope during the dream. Years ago, I heard the story about a young man in his early 20s who had a little difficulty uh, in his dating life, and he was trying to find the right lady to uh, share his life with. And his mother, who was a believer, said, Honey, you have to really pray, and you have to believe, and it's not enough just to pray and believe. You have to put action to your prayer. You have to be specific in what you want, wanting God to feel your desires. And so one day she went into his room and there was a bikini hanging off his bedpost. And she said, honey, what is that? said, I'm praying for God to fulfill my wishes and my desires. Well, that's one way to approach it, isn't it? But all of us, we have hopes, we have dreams, we have desires, we're dreaming for better things. And everybody's hoping for something or someone. And everybody's dreaming for something or someone. And uh, I believe that that spark of hope and dream that God has put in us is from him, don't you? I believe God wants us to hope, and I believe he wants us to dream. How many of you are going to help me preach today? Amen. All right, half of you are going to help me. Proverbs 13, verse 12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And everybody's been dashed with hopes that have fallen short or dreams that have not come true. And the elephant in the room today is that everybody has gone through this. No one is exempt. No one gets a deferral. No one gets a pass. You've hoped for something didn't happen. You hoped something didn't happen, and it did happen. You dreamed, and you didn't see the realization of the dream. Some of you know it's not always in my time or your time. It's in God's time, and it's in his way. And we have to believe that. We have to embrace that. Uh, Claire Bruth Luce said, there are no hopeless situations there are only people who have grown hopeless about their situation. And sometimes that defines me and sometimes that defines you. The Bible is replete. It's full of examples of people who hoped, they thought, they dreamed, and it didn't turn out quite like they wanted it to happen. We could take King David, for example. He's anointed to be king somewhere maybe around 17. He's a late teenager. And... Um, it didn't happen immediately. It didn't happen the next day, the next week, next month. It didn't happen the next year. It didn't happen the next decade. It was about 13 years later that he realized the hope or the dream that he felt like God had for him. Or we could talk about Ruth, who lost her husband. She's in a foreign land now. She has no way of earning a living. She's living with her mother-in-law. And now she is hoping for something better. Or we could talk about the, the widow in the famine of Elijah's time. You talk about down and out. This lady is wanting to just eke out a living, and she can't even do that. 
She's looking to death, even her family. She says, I think I'm just going to do the final hurrah here and go on. Or we could talk about the Apostle Paul. I don't even know, even great Christians go through difficult times. So if you're here today and say, looks like everybody's got it together. Oh, how wrong you are. Look at the person next to you. Do they look like they have it together? Listen, they don't even know where it's at. Much like have it together. I heard someone say the other day, I'd like to be a smartphone. I'm getting slimmer and smarter as the years go on. Okay, move on, preacher. But it's true. Paul, a great apostle, great preacher, he is sailing to Rome and he gets into a storm. Goodness gracious, did you see the, the pictures from the Bahamas? I mean, that thing set over them and spun at 200 miles an hour for almost two days. It, it, it's complete destruction. And now Paul's on a ship, they get into a storm, and people, we get into a storm just like they were in a storm. Sometimes our storm is not physical, it's not a reality of high wind. Sometimes it's internal, sometimes it's in a family or a marriage or a health issue. And now Paul's there, and I just want to read a little bit about that. Verse 19 of chapter 27, it says, On the third day we threw out the ships tackling overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, the storm beat on us. You, you, you do what, know what he's saying, don't you? He said, we, we threw out the cargo. We, we threw out everything that wasn't necessary. Then we start throwing out the ships tackling and they're there in that storm day after day after day after day. At one time, it gives us a, a number, 14 days in that storm. But I'm going to read you the line I did not read. It says, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Any hope we had that we'd be saved was lost. But then the angel appeared. Somebody say amen. amen. Then the angel appeared and stood next to him. And then Paul addresses the entire crew. He gets the mariners together and he says, This night the angel of the Lord stood by me. The God whom I serve, the God who knows me, says that nobody is going to die in this storm. And their hope begins to leap again in their bosom. And I know this. Everybody here, you've had hope, you've lost hope. You've had dreams, you've lost some dreams. This is normal. You say, normal? I don't want to be normal. You be abnormal then. So we're talking about things that happen that sometimes we hope and it doesn't seem like it works the way we think. Let's talk about Abraham and Sarah. How would you like to be 75 years old and God calls you and he blesses you and he gives you a promise and he says... Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a baby and you're going to give birth to a son and you're going to give birth to a nation. And if I would have been Abraham, this is what I said, Lord, you should have called me up 50 years ago. Y'all are so holy. <laughs> Guys, listen, at 75, maybe a little bit of hope. 80, 90, 95, we could say, well, it's Sarah's fault. You know, she's not a spring chicken either. I mean, look, look at her. She's, she, she, she's getting there. Well, listen, Abraham, 
This is not good for you either. And, and, and I think about this, and, and, and I want to read something from Romans that explains it just a little bit. How, how many of you know the Bible actually interprets the Bible? In Romans chapter 4, when Paul writes this, he gives us a snippet about this thing about Abraham and Sarah and this baby. In verse 18, he says, who against hope believed in hope? Well, what does that mean? Who in hope, he believed in hope. And against hope, he believed in hope. Well, I'm hoping, but when I get up in the morning, I don't have much hope when I look in the mirror. And so I'm hoping again, and then my hope is kind of waning. And then I'm hoping again, and I'm hoping again. And the Bible says he hoped against hope. He wants to have hope. It's kind of like the guy who said, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. I want to believe, but sometimes my belief is, is shaky. I want to hope, but sometimes my, my hope is shaken here. But it says he hoped against hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. So Abraham, the father of faith, had to say, Lord, I believe your promise more than I believe anything else. I believe your promise more than I believe me. I believe your promise more than I believe Sarah. I believe your promise. You see, circumstances are saying this is never going to happen. Critics may say this will never, ever happen. I mean, there are going to be people in your life that say this will never, ever happen. And how do you know some of those people are the experts? I mean, you, you go to the doctor, and, I, and I'm not you know, being offensive here because we have a lot of doctors in our church. Sometimes the doctor's just saying, from what I see, this is the way it is. But how many of you know God sees beyond what other people see? He sees beyond what we think. He goes beyond what we can ask or think. So when we say, well, the experts say this. Well, listen, the Titanic was built by experts. The ark was built by an amateur, and the amateurs floated. The experts didn't. Can I hear an amen? So we have to believe what God said. So I'm looking at the, the thing with Abraham and Sarah and knowing this, that the promise comes before the proof. Would you say that with me? The promise comes before the proof. You say, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you. Abram, his name means father. How would you like to be named father and you have no kids. Now God now one-ups it. He says, no longer shall you be called Abram, father. I'm going to call you Abraham, father of many. It was bad enough that you're called father. Now God puts a moniker on you, father of many, and you're walking around with no kids. What does that mean? It means the promise comes before the proof. But at age 100, and at age 90, Abraham and Sarah have a child. And Sarah, at 90 years old, gives birth to Isaac, this little boy. And picture in your mind Abraham walking in with this little boy to kindergarten. He's five years old. He's going up to meet and greet the teacher. And he has this little boy named Isaac with him. And the teacher says, oh, are you the great-grandfather? And Abraham says, no, I'm his dad. 
Come on now. 100 years old, you're bringing your kid to kindergarten at 100? I'm saying the teacher's saying, I've never seen this before. Never had this happen before. But Abraham and Sarah believed the promise before the proof ever came. Can I ask you a question? What book in the Bible has the word hope in it the most? You want to guess? Psalms. The Psalms has the word hope in it more than any other book. What chapter in the Bible has the most words about hope in any of the chapter? It's Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible. Now, why would hope be in the Psalms more than any other book in the Bible? Well, I think maybe there's a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that it was a time where, you know, they needed hope. Secondly, who wrote a lot of the Psalms? David. So David was a guy of hope. He was a man after God's own heart. So he talked about hope a whole lot. And here's another aspect of this. In Psalms 119, there are eight references to hope. And every one of them is tied to the word of God. Every one. I'm not going to read all of them, but I want to read a few to you this morning. Here's verse 49. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Verse 47. Or 74, those who fear you shall see me rejoice because I have hoped in your word. Verse 81, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. Verse 114, you are my hiding place, my shield. I hope in your word. Isn't it amazing how hope is tied to the word of God? Connected together. Because that's why in Hebrews 11 and 1, now faith is the substance of things hope for the evidence of things unseen or not seen. Let me read it again with the other translation words put in. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence, the assurance, the realization, the confidence of things not seen. You see, faith is the means that we secure what we hope for. Now I want you to listen very closely. This is kind of what got me started on this is this verse. Faith is the substance of things what? Hope for. Say that with me. Hope for. Now let's all say it. Hope for. If you're not hoping for anything, you don't need much faith. If you're not hoping for anything, you don't need much faith. Because if you're hoping for something, if you desire something, if you desire that better marriage to, to get well, to get healed, if you're desiring to, to build a church, if you're desiring to build a business, if you're desiring to get married, if you're desiring to have children, then what is that? That is your hope. So how do we get that hope realized? We have to have faith, and faith becomes the vehicle that we receive, and we take hold of the thing that what we're hoping for. Raise your hope level, and your faith level will rise too. So we, we, we want to hope for something. What are you hoping for? What am I looking for? What's my goal? What's my aspiration? What is the thing that I'm looking for? What drives you? What motivates you? What inspires you? What's the reason you get up every morning? My dad was in the early service this morning. He's 84 years old this year. And from the 60s, we have raised cattle. He's been in the oil business. And dad does not own one cow today. Not one cow. But he gets up nearly every day and goes to work. And when someone says, Fred, what are you doing? This is what he says. I'm working for my kids. That's what he says. I'm working for my kids. And that's really true. 
And you know what I found out? I'm working for my kids. And I'm working for my grandkids. Most of you know, a little over a year ago, uh, Aaron and Natalie had Riley, our first little granddaughter. She's a little over one years old. She's walking now, running now, starting to talk a little bit. And I want you to know, when she runs to me and raises up her arms and says, Papa, it is all over. <laughs> Honey, what do you want? You want a horse, cow, you know, you want a Ferrari? What do you want? I was telling you, when they run up and they throw their arms up and says, Papa, it is all over. Carrie's the same way. And you know what? When you run to God and you throw your arms up to him, you know what he says? That's my kid right there. What, what do you need? What, what are you hoping for? What are you dreaming for? What is it that I can do for you? Can I hear an amen? You and I need something that stirs us. We, we need something that's igniting the passion within us. We need something to get up for every morning. You see, hope pulls you. Hope pulls you to what you're hoping for. And dreams position you for success. So my hope is pulling me. My dreams are positioning me. And let me show you how that's illustrated in the Bible. The life of Joseph. Remember Joseph? Age 17, he dreams a dream. He tells it to his dad and his brothers. I mean, you know, that was a mistake, maybe. I mean, they hated him for the dream. Then it says he dreamed a dream more. And they hated him more for the dream. But then God begins this series of events, this sequence of circumstances that sometimes I don't think Joseph could even get his mind around. You know, his brothers hate him, and when he goes to check on them, they throw him in a pit. They're contemplating his murder. They sell him now into slavery. He goes to Potiphar's house. We know what happened there. He is a slave. He's a servant. And Potiphar had a hotifer, right? And she's hitting on him, and, and she accuses him of sexual misconduct that he did not do, and he goes to prison. So from the pit to Potiphar's house to the prison, and there he goes to the palace. And God elevates him. And if I'm Joseph, I'm thinking, well, what's this pit thing, and what's this Potiphar thing, and what's this prison thing? And God is saying, I am positioning you for success. I'm getting you in the position that I might allow you to do what I've called you to do. You see, dreams sometimes turn into nightmares. Sometimes they get a little funky, don't they? They get a little weird. But if you'll keep dreaming, the promise will begin to see the proof come to reality. You see, Joseph at age 17 did not know where he was headed, I don't think. But God was positioning him for success. But you do know there are some dream killers around, don't you? Do you realize some people can try to kill your dreams? And circumstances can try to kill your dreams? It's never going to happen. Not the right time, not the right place. People telling you it won't work out, can't work out. Don't let your doubt kill your dreams, your hopes, the vision you have. We can have self-doubt about it. We can see that begin to wane. We can see that hope begin to dissipate. See the dreams become something that we quit dreaming. Jesus is going to the tomb of Lazarus. He's delayed his coming, you remember? Martha comes out to meet him and said, Jesus, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. You could have healed him. Seemed too late, didn't it? 
And Jesus looked at her and said, do you believe that your brother will live again? She said, oh yeah, I believe in the resurrection. He will live again. And Jesus looked at Martha and said, Martha, I am the resurrection. Hey, the resurrection is not in the day, it's in a person. The resurrection's in Jesus Christ. She said, oh, yeah, I believe in the resurrection, he'll live again. Jesus walking to the tomb, family there, going to the graveyard. He's weeping. Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible. He's crying. Then he does something unusual. He said, hey, move the stone. Hey, the girl said, don't move the stone. He's been dead four days. This is too far gone. Can't, can't do anything now, Jesus. How many of you know, Jesus can do something when you think it's too far gone. Hey, hey don't. He, he's stinky now. Don't do this. And Jesus said, just believe. And he looked into the darkness of that tomb and he said, Lazarus, Come forth. Many scholars have said if he just said come forth, everybody in the graveyard would have got up. And I kind of believe that, don't you? But he singled Lazarus out. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And he who was bound, he showed up at the mouth of that sepulcher or that tomb. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. I wonder how many times we show up and we're all just bound up. And we look in the situation, we say it's too far gone. But I'm going to tell you, God can do things that you think he cannot do. He can loose you from things you think you can't get a loose from, right? He can bring life in dead situations. Don't let the circumstance dictate your hope or your dream. God's bigger than that. He's bigger than that for you and he's bigger than that for me. Or what about Hannah? She's praying. She can't have a baby. Other women are having babies. Hannah can't have a child. Matter of fact, she goes to the uh, place of prayer and the, the priest looks at her and thinks she's been drinking because her lips are moving but nothing's coming out. She's kind of praying a silent prayer. And, and Hannah says, oh no, oh no, no, listen. I, I'm here because I have anguish of heart. Because I'm looking for a son. I, I want to have a baby. I, I want to have a child. And you know what? God answered her prayer. Samuel, come along. And, and this is what I know about you. This is what I know about me. Every person in here I don't care how old you are, if this is your first time or your 50th time. Every person in here has something you're hoping for. Every person in here has something you're dreaming for. Every person in here is looking for something to be different. Something or someone you're trying to impact, receive, a change in your life. And this is what I know, everybody in here, we don't talk about it much because it's the elephant in the room. We have some disappointments and we have some things that we want to see done. And we have to trust God in that because we have to say, he said the promise, I'm just going to have to wait for the proof. Not my time, but in his time. I read about a a man by the name of Eugene Lang. He's an investor. He made a lot of money. He went to speak at a sixth grade commencement in Harlem, New York. I've spoken at those type of events, and this is what I know. Most sixth graders are not listening to you. They're poking each other and gawking around, doing whatever they're doing. 
So Mr. Eugene Lang, who was asked that day to speak to the sixth grade class. Now you have to understand in Harlem, that sixth grade class mostly was black and Hispanic. And less than 60% ever graduated from high school. Very low graduation rate. So he was going to get up and encourage them and say, hey, I graduated from the school that you're in years ago. And, and, you know, if you dream big, if you work hard, you can be a success. And he thought, you know, they don't want to hear that. That's just stuff that, you know, people say. But this is what he said. It kind of was off the cuff statement. He said, this is what I'll do. For every sixth grader in here, if you will finish school and go to college, I'll pay your tuition. How many of you know everybody listened up then? Parents listened. He said, for every sixth grader here, if you graduate from high school and you will enroll in college, I will pay your tuition. Wow. And 16,000 kids later and $150 million later, Mr. Lang paid for their tuition. Isn't that amazing? Now let me give you one of those sixth graders lying later on in life. Let me read it to you. As he spoke, said, stay in school. I'll help pay for your college tuition, every one of you. One of the students said, for the first time, I had hope. I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. A lot of these students felt like they had no hope. And one man stood up and said, if you'll graduate and go to college, I'll pay your tuition. And all of a sudden, hope rose up. This morning, I shared this story about World War II, Philippines. The Japanese had invaded the islands of the Philippines, overran the United States and allied forces. So most of the soldiers left. They left a small contingency on the island, and the Japanese overran them. And they took them to a concentration, a POW camp. And the march was called the Death March of Bataan. How many of you ever heard of the Death March? The Bataan Death March, those who were weak, those who got sick, those who fainted along the way, they just killed them. They didn't help them. They, they bayoneted them to death. And as they marched 70 miles with little water, almost no food, horrible conditions, diarrhea, malaria, many of them fell by the wayside and they were just bayoneted as they fell. About 500 and something of those prisoners made it to the uh, POW camp. They said it was a hellhole. And when they thought the United States were coming back to the island, there was talk through the camp that they were going to kill every, every prisoner. But then there was a group of soldiers from the United States and Philippine guerrillas. There were about 200 Philippine guerrillas that joined forces with 120 United States Army soldiers. And these 513 men that were left in the camp, those who had not died, their hope was wavering. They didn't think they'd ever make it out alive. And then all of a sudden, these guerrillas of the Philippines and these soldiers from the United States had ambushed 8,000 Japanese soldiers and freed the prisoners from the camp. It's an amazing story. 
Matter of fact, one of the men in the early service came up to me and said, I, I know two people, they're dead today, but they survived that Bataan death march. And we had one locally that lived here that survived the Bataan death march. Very select group, very select group. And one of the liberators was a man by the name of Alvy Robbins. He was one of the rescuers. He said when he got to the camp, there was one prisoner in the dark, tears rolling down his face. And this is what he said. I thought we had been forgotten. I thought we had been forgotten. And this is what Alvy said to him. You're not forgotten. We've come for you. When I read that, I thought of all the times you felt this and I felt this. God, sometimes I feel forgotten. My hope is way down here. My dreams, I don't know if they're ever going to become reality. But God has a way of saying, you're not forgotten. I've come for you. I remember years ago, Carrie and I lived in a little trailer. We were building a house. We lived in this little trailer trying to build a house behind it. The church, maybe what, 30, 35 people? We had 35 was a big day, big Sunday. Big Sundays, next Sunday. But back then, big Sunday was 35 people. And I remember we would get off work and we'd go home and some of the people would gather and we'd have prayer meetings. We start praying maybe six, seven o'clock in the evening. A lot of times those prayer meetings would last one, two, three o'clock in the morning. We'd pray and we'd pray and we'd pray. And many times I would just have to say, guys, I, I gotta go to sleep. I gotta work in the morning. People would still be praying at my house. But I remember prophetically a word would come forth from time to time. This is what the prophetic word would say. I'm gonna do things that you'll never imagine. Things that you can't see now. And for me, that was the promise. The proof came a long time later. But that was the promise. And sometimes when you're there, with your family, your kids, your finances, your health, sometimes you're there and you say, God, have you forgotten me? And then he shows up and he says, I haven't forgotten. I'm here for you. I believe he's speaking that to you right now. Could be about your marriage. Maybe you've had a loss and it has gripped your heart and just tore you wide open and there's a gaping wound. I've been there. And you say, God, where are you? And this is what he says. I hadn't forgotten you. I've come for you. And maybe today's your day that he's come for you. Would you bow your head with me right now? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.